It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway or Kyrie when he make a trade. And nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you got a repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales Packard and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen, after every game is very important, Millie's. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making this part of your daily routine. We are here for you Monday through Friday to keep you company in the car, in the shower, at the gym, whatever it is, we're here for you. We are the Rain and Jays. I am John Corrales, uh, here by myself, because this is going to be a crossover podcast with... Chris Manning of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. We just had a great conversation. We talked a lot about the things that we saw in game games one and two, the problems that the Cavaliers have been having, the things that the Celtics have done right, the things that the Cavaliers have done wrong, what LeBron's role in this, uh, in especially defensively, and, and what he's been doing wrong defensively and how that's kind of set the tone. We get into games three and four, the two home games, for uh, the Cavaliers, it's going to be uh, really tough for the Celtics, I think, in Game 3. Uh, we'll get into what I think is going to happen in Game 3, what should happen in Game 3, and what happens if it doesn't. And then I have to talk about J.R. Smith, who did not receive a suspension or an upgraded flagrant 2 or anything like that. We get into that at the end of this podcast. So, of course, you can subscribe to Locked On Celtics or Locked On Cavaliers. We're both there, uh, and I would suggest listening to us both because it's really important to have uh, that other team's perspective. So search for Locked On Celtics if you're a, a Cavs fan that's just coming over. Uh, search for Locked On Celtics if you're a Celtics fan just getting to know us. Thank you for Joining the fun here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. We have a lot of fun. Again, Monday through Friday. If you are a subscriber, be sure to leave us that good review, that five-star rating. Uh, like I said in the uh, last night's podcast, we have cracked the top 200 on iTunes, which is huge. So thank you guys so, so much. But if you haven't given us that rating, it really, really helps and because that's how we get discovered, pushed further up the rankings, advertisers find us, and basically ends up becoming a way to pay us while we give you free content. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Locked On Cavs host, Chris Manning. All right, Chris. So here we are, Celtics up to nothing. I don't know how many people expected this. Uh, if they did expect this, didn't expect it to go this well. For, for Boston. So let's get the Cleveland perspective for, I want to know what, what you, what have you seen in the first couple of games here that, that, that Boston's done well and you guys haven't. I think for the Cavs, you're seeing some of the things that did not work for them in the Indiana series. I think have really come back to a, a higher degree, right? Like I was talking to Chris Barnwell from CBS about this uh, in, in an off 
podcast chat and G chat. Um, and one of the things like when you think of, we were talking about Toronto and it's like Toronto is this team that like looking back, it looks really bad that they were not able to take advantage of some of these things. Right. Seriously. But then I, <laughs> yeah, like poor, like Dwayne Casey, I'm sorry, my guy, but um, you got to do better. But you think about like how Boston is built. They're not playing one guy who is a, a defensive liability, right? Like even J- Jalen, uh, I mean, Jalen Brown's obviously great, but Jason Tatum is a rookie. He's not, he's not been a liability, right? Like he's not been someone that Cavs can hunt down and attack. In Toronto, DeMar, De- DeMar DeRozan is a worse defender, right, than anyone Boston is, is playing in this series, right? There's not anyone for the Cavs to hunt. Against Indiana, it was somewhat the same thing. Or like Kevin Love had tough matchups with with Thad Young. Bojan um, Bogdanovic did a fantastic job as well as you could ask him to do against LeBron. You know, Collison's uh, was was a solidish defender, right? Like there was not they picked on Sabonis, but that's like one guy. Like Boston just doesn't have that guy. Like Marcus Morris, to his credit, has done a great job um, on LeBron. Like he's 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 fought. They've thrown all these bodies at him. And and that to me speaks to a lot of it, just the athleticism and that defensive ability there. They're they're not taking the the hawk strategy under Budenholzer where it was. Well, we're gonna like let LeBron pass, and he's also gonna score. It's like no, you're gonna work. You're gonna work on the defensive end, and that that starts that kind of a trickle down effect of everything that's gone wrong. And then you just look at what they're doing with the length, with the the type of the Marcus Smart pick and rolls that were really big in game two. They throw all these different wrinkles at the Cavs, adjust on the fly. Uh, throw different looks at the Cavs, throw things that confuse them to a team that is not, frankly, not very adaptable. To me, just what what Boston is, even without Kyrie, even without Gordon Hayward, they're, I mean, I would say they're, they're second and third best players, they're first and third best players, however you want to include them with Horford when they're awfully healthy. They are just doing what Boston does, and it's just something this Cavs team that looks kind of not together, that has not, frankly, was not together long it just has just all these different issues, doesn't really know what works, has a lot of guys that are sort of good at one thing and not good at other stuff or just aren't good. It, it just is it's just the the right anecdote for them. It's it's it speaks to like what this cat team's deficiencies are around a guy who, you know, in theory, like if you were gonna build a team around LeBron, like you would want them to be able to do this multidimensional identity and have that. This team just doesn't have it, and a team like Boston that can throw all these different looks at them, pick them apart in different ways, adjust on the fly, it, it just speaks to like what this Cavs team like is is lacking at this point in time. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. Um, it's real interesting that these guys that were supposed to be, I guess, antidotes for the problem that this Cavaliers team had starting the season – are doing a lot of the same things that those guys were doing. And now I didn't buy into after the trade, like after the trade happened, you guys came into Boston and just destroyed us on Paul Pierce night. And I'll just real quick. I wanted to shout out Jason Tatum because when he makes threes in this year, I don't know if you've noticed this. And I tweeted a picture of this. If people can find it in my, in my media on Twitter, Jordan Clarkson in that game did this three point celebration that LeBron mimic where he ran down the court with his, uh, with like the three symbol over his elbow with his tongue out, like celebrating. Yeah. He, J- Jason Tatum has not like gone full out on this, but when he's made, I don't, I don't know if he's doing this on purpose, but he does it. Like he does a version of this and looks at the Celtics bench and like looks around the court when he has like made three pointers in this series. <laughs> it is like some 
excellent. Like I do, I I need someone to like um, Jared Weiss or or Chicken or anyone out there that's asked. Like I, th- I he to me it seems like just so obvious that he's trolling, and I hope he is because it's it's excellent trolling. It is it is grade A NBA petty that I I am here for. All right, let me let me go down this road just for a little bit before I get back to my point. I have noticed. I haven't said this on any other podcast yet. I have noticed a new attitude, a little bit from Jason Tatum. I think from the beginning of the season where he was this reticent, young, 19-year-old with obvious skill that was pressed into service and started every game after the, the Gordon Hayward injury, and we watched him defer all season and take nine shots and you know score efficiently and be a top-notch leading the NBA in three-point shooting type of threat. I've seen that guy grow. And this postseason, I think because he knows now that he has to be one of the guys to go do something, he has been not only more aggressive, not only more willing to take that shot, I've seen him take time on the floor to direct other guys or when he wanted a clear out and he didn't get it fast enough or he didn't get it at all, he would be upset. And that's not something I've seen from him. And so to your point, to see him kind of get that kind of trolling out, uh, not surprising. Like, for example, he went to just completely annihilate Joel Embiid on a dunk in the last series and the cameras caught him he missed the dunk he got fouled he missed the dunk cameras caught him turning to Embiid saying you got lucky twice so this kid's growing up like before our eyes and I'm definitely seeing that level a little bit of an edge already in him which I love because all season long at the beginning of the season anyway he's been kind of like hey look Al's here. Kyrie's here. I'm going to take whatever overflow. Like, you guys eat, and I'll get the leftovers. It's like It's like lions. The, the, the leader of the pride comes over and eats the kill first, and then the rest of the pride comes in and is like, all right, I'll take whatever's left over. And he was like kind of like the little cub coming in like, I'll just get this little scrap right here, and I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll let you guys eat. Now he's like, uh-uh, I'm eating now. My turn. And it, it's been fun to watch. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there trolling like that. He would never admit to it, by the way. And we could all ask him that question. He'll never, ever admit to that. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see rookies develop like that. I, I it's one of those things where I, I his facial reaction to me would would be the the indicator of whether he's he's doing the trolling or not. Because if if he if you catch him with it, it's one of those questions where he might smirk and then be like, "No, I'd never do that." But that's funny. But it's like, okay, we I I get what you're saying here. Like I get that you're throwing it back there because like look, he's not you know he wasn't around for these other playoff series, but. Um, it's not, I'm sure there, I'm sure considering, you know, he's, he's went to the same college as Kyrie's playing with Kyrie was there with Tatum last year. Al Horford has history with the history with the Cavs. I'm sure it's not exactly, um, you know, I'm sure it's, it's, it's gotta feel good for him. Even if it's not, he doesn't have that personal history to, to, to be doing what, what Boston's doing to the Cavs. But let's get back to your original point before I I sidetracked us. No, that's fine. So what what I'm looking at here with the Cavs is obviously a bunch of guys who are making uh, 
poor decisions, completely getting lost. Defensively, just a complete dumpster fire. I mean, it's just really, really bad. But they were a dumpster fire before the trade deadline flurry that brought in all of those guys and that got LeBron to say, hey, we got a squad now. So you guys came in and you waxed Boston on Paul Pierce night with a lot of athleticism, a lot of guys that were moving and maybe still not playing great defense, but active. And part of the whole thing with that trade where, I mean, I wasn't going crazy thinking like, oh, my God, they're so good now. But I was saying they're athletic now. And at the very least, they won't be old and decrepit now. But here they are looking like like the same calves that started the season. So is that a systemic thing? Is that Ty Lue? Is that guys that just – is that playing with LeBron and they just don't know how to play with LeBron? So everybody's confused and maybe a little ornery. Uh, and, and on top of that all, we still haven't seen a ton of Larry Nance. Uh, Rodney Hood has been uh, – and so I don't know, probably not going to see a ton of him. Uh, Jordan, uh, is kind. Uh, is yeah. kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was good. Well, he he was better in game one, so he has at least some uh, shown some ability here. But he, he's just been. Uh, we'll leave it at that for now. Clarkson was horrible in game one. Like, but look, Clarkson, Osman, uh, Hood, Nance. I mean, those are your guys. That was Hill. Those were the guys that were supposed to save the season, and only George Hill is getting any kind of burn. The Celtics, I think, would be a little more susceptible to a wild-flying athletic team if the Cavaliers are just sitting there saying, screw it, we're going to try to outscore you. Why not have the athletic guys in the in the offense that can at least play off of LeBron? Instead of going LeBron and four shooters, go with LeBron, LeBron and four slashers and just pick, 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 pick and see if you can get somebody to make a mistake. Go back door for an alley-oop. Pick and roll these guys to death. Do something. Force that defense to make more rotations. I mean, the Celtics defense has been awesome. But the more those guys, the longer you play defense, it's the, the worse it's going to get. It's going to start to break down. It's like football. You can only cover a guy for so long. Even the best D-backs can cover a wide receiver for so long before he breaks free. Why not just milk the clock, just cut, 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 do all that stuff, and see if you can find somebody and use that athleticism to tire the Celtics out. They're thin. They're, they, their depth has been sapped. I think I think that is a fair question. Um, the, the two things I would I would say that, that um, I, I would caveat here is, number one, you did see a version of this in Game 2. It's not something we're going to talk about moving forward if this, this season ends for the Cavs, but Kevin Love, if you look at his success in Game 2, he was awesome cutting off ball and, and running the floor um, and, and moving around and getting different looks where he was the, – the Celtics looked one way at LeBron and then he cut back door or he, he popped out. He, they did a really nice job with him and Korver as well in running sets where it was LeBron and the Celtics had to pick basically between, let's say, for instance, Korver rolling towards the hoop and Love popping out. There's these there's these sets that tie Lute to his credit in a game that he was just flatly outcoached, at least did that correctly. Um I would say also Jetty should not be lumped in with those guys, um, with the guys that came over in the trade for because one he's a rookie, number two he was not really viewed in that way. And now you like it, it's something I need to do on Unlocked on Cavs and discuss like what happened after the the Dwayne Wade trade because they said okay we're gonna you know clear out Dwayne so Jetty can play and it didn't happen. I think there, there's something there, but 
running through those guys, Hill, I think, has been, like as you pointed out, he's been fine. He's been essential to, to when they've been competent. Nance, is, Nance had a hamstring injury in the uh, regular season. I do not think he's been the same since. I'd have to, to uh, run the numbers to, to really quantify that, but I don't think he's been the same since. I think he, he has not been able to also establish a rhythm ever since the, they went away from him in, in the beginning of the playoffs. Uh, to look at Hood, Look, he's he's been awful for for huh. rounds. He's been uh, he has not been good since he had a back injury at the end of the regular season. Uh, and and for me, the two plays that I think really caught two plays he was directly involved in that cost the Cavs in Game Two. End of the third quarter, uh, there's a Rotario Ogier hit a three pointer with it's like 44 seconds to go. Rodney Hood, I don't, I don't know exactly what went wrong with the defense because there should have been one other guy on that side of the floor. But what Hood should have rotated, he, he rotated to the right guy on top. And then when the ball got swung to Rogier, he needed to make that extra rotation and then did not do it. Uh, and just stood there like looking at him. Inexcusable. Starts the fourth quarter with an, with an ugly turnover that leads to an easy bucket or two free throws for Sammy Ojale uh, that ended up being pushing that lead to nine points killer he, he's just not done anything good frankly um and then jordan clarkson didn't play any game uh for me clarkson just does not they, they do not trust him to to be a ball handler they do not trust him to basically be a point guard and he's just kind of has point guard size um all the fears that you should that people should have had about him in in coming over to the Cavs, i think ha, are having sort of realized and, and ty just can't play him without Hill or LeBron on the floor with him and, and both have their limitations and, and, and it, it's a it's a problem. I agree with you though. I think, you know, love at the five is something that I would I would do a little bit more of, especially when when they're playing Baines or Monroe. Um I think, you know, I think Nance and Thompson have their value and, and Nance can be vertically spaced, but there's limitations there, obviously. Um Jeff Green should not be playing this much. I would be playing Osman over Hood at this point. He at least cuts, plays defense, uh, will run the floor well. But I think you're right. I think there's something to the idea that they need to cut and focus in on offense. The the question is, you know, with the, the lack of cohesion with the the other just limitations this group has and just some of the deficiencies these guys have, you know, what how high does that actually raise your ceiling in the series? I, I don't know. Um, I don't really know, and I and I think it's fair to wonder what what that that could have that could actually yield. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Here we go! John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. 
Let the Locked On NBA Network of Podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm going to go back to that play where Rozier hit the three. I'm looking at it right now. And it, it brings me to a point about LeBron and LeBron on defense. And LeBron as the leader of this team. So everybody's kind of taking LeBron's lead, right? Like he's the head of the snake, as people like to say. And he's – I don't think it's a, a, a dirty little secret to say he's not playing the level of defense that he has in the past. And it's not to say that it's, it's his fault. He's been in the league for, what, 15 years his his combined playoff numbers are on par with guys who are retired. He's currently at a, somewhere around Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant level combined regular season and playoff minutes. And he's still out there playing this well, which is amazing. So that that's amazing. But at the same time, I wish I could remember who said this on, on one of the I listen to so many podcasts. Shit, it might have been you for all I know. The LeBron is playing like a guy who needs to go 40 miles on 30 miles worth of gas. And I did not say that, but that's smart. And so I'm going to take credit for it. It's not. And I, I can't take credit for it. I wish I could remember who said it because I want to give credit for it. But that is the best way that I can see it. The best way it can be said, because he's he's got to be running on fumes to some degree. He went out in that first quarter and just smack the Celtics. Um, that's an entirely different thing. But in this on this particular play, I think it's more LeBron's fault because what ends up happening is Tatum passes out of a triple team. And I think LeBron is just kind of, he's sagged off of, I don't know who he started with, but Horford is in the lane. He had cut behind Tatum because Tatum had been further out trying to back down Korver. T- Horford tried to cut like on Kevin Love to try and get like a backdoor pass. The spacing's actually pretty bad. So, but in the lane, you've got Love on Horford, Corver defending Tatum, Jeff Green with the step, one foot in the lane trying to guard, you know, sort of guard Marcus Smart. He's he's playing actually Marcus Smart well. You, you're you're willing to give up that shot. And then there's LeBron at the bottom of the jump circle. Just there. Who is, who is he supposed to be guarding? And so Tatum sees Marcus Morris shoot up. Rodney Hood goes up to Morris at the top. And then Morris finds uh, Rozier on the sideline. Hood's got no chance. Nobody. LeBron is the guy that doesn't have anybody. So my point here is that Hood, I'm, I'm certainly not letting Hood off the hook because he has been horrible. When we look at this bad Cavs team, LeBron is taking these chances. I think you can say he's trying to make a play, but in trying to make a play, he sold out the rest of his players, and he's left the guy completely wide open. Rozier's out there on the side, right at the, the break, with nobody within 10 feet of him, and he obviously drills the three. So I guess my question is, is it 
I don't want to say is it LeBron's fault, but I feel like these guys are kind of like taking LeBron's lead. Like, well, if he's not going to go and do this, then we're certainly not going to go bust our ass because he's not. If Hood says I'm going to sell out this way and Rozier just gets it back to Morris, there's zero chance LeBron is his body is, is his momentum. He's not doing anything. Morris would have had the open three. So I feel like part of what's happening there is LeBron, because he's trying to do what he does and he's taking these chances and and whatever, whatever. His defense has dipped at the half court and it's taking everybody down with him. And it just feels like everyone has just given up the idea of defending. And it's just, let's, let's maybe try to sell out on the offensive end. And that's not even working either, but the problem here to me, and I've been saying this a bunch, the the Cavaliers have now put them in a position where themselves in a position where if they're not hitting their shots early, if that if they're not building up a twenty five point lead, then they're screwed because they don't have the defense to fuel a comeback. They're not going to get two, three, four stops in a row and go on runs. It doesn't feel like, at least not against the Celtics. I think you're right about that. I think the thing with LeBron, it's not really a, a dirty secret to, to – or maybe not talked about it enough is the best way to put it, that he would really like not to have to be on ball all the time at this point. I, I think this team – it's why Hill matters. It's why they could really – it's why Jose Calderon was was useful for this team this season. They, they need someone to, to really step out uh, and help him kind of <laughs> trade a little bit. I think they miss that on this group with this group. But and it does stem from LeBron. Like even when all of these other people are problematic, and and guys aren't playing well, and like right, Hood does make a mistake there, and he's been bad. It does ultimately come from LeBron. And yes, like he he is. It is not like it is not like his fault per se that they are losing this series. But like he is going to take the brunt of this. Um, and you know, I it, when his it'll be. I, it's not a conversation I think we can have now or should have now, but when he's been retired for a little bit and we look at this era of basketball, it'll be really interesting to talk about how he built teams and what, or how teams built around him. Um, I, I think that's just going to be an interesting case study to see like what works, what doesn't around superstars, because it is very short term. And you look at some of the other success stories, obviously golden state had to have everything click into place. Boston really benefited from the from Billy King being awful at his job. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Philly obviously took the hinky path, and and Houston obviously had a really really smart GM. All of these people had had plans for for LeBron. Ever since he went to Miami, it's been okay. What what gets me a chance to compete right now and go for a title right now? There's something to be said that that like sets you up in in the in in a shorter amount of time than it might in other situations, or at least might feel this way that the, that your window is just shorter as a result. And, you know, I don't know, we cannot like look at this yet. And I think we need the, the full scope of the data and the titles and who wins and what LeBron ends up doing next to, to really evaluate this. But that, that is my feel of this. And I think in, in a one, in a series like this, the fault lines that come from having to build the way the Cavs have built the, the in-season reset, the, the going back to the mishandling of the Kyrie trade, all the way up to you know getting Isaiah, who just was never healthy, and is tweeting that he hasn't been healthy until like today, apparently. Um, <laughs> they, like and Jay Crowder not working, all these things. Like it, like that game is a culmination of, of that year of of mistakes and where we are right now. It's just it it just is. Well, for the record, I'd like to say I'm perfectly fine with the way the Kyrie trade went. So 
Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, Kyrie's awesome. Um, <laughs> just I, uh, I it, had it, to bust it, your balls. That's me playing to the audience. Look, he, uh, it's, it's, it's a, as just like a sports fan, it's, it's a bummer to me that he's not playing in this series. Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of, it kind of sucks that like he is not getting this because like he. Because like you 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 when you beat like the the LeBron losing in the East matters most the first time it happens right yeah and it kind of sucks that like Kyrie is not there to be the one to do it yeah like even even like it's not as a not a Celtics fan like even like I it just like it just be like it would just like feel like a little more like like the knife gets twisted a little bit more. Uh, and like if Kyrie like slips in like the calls LeBron kid or something like that, because that like apparently annoyed him or whatever. <laughs> like, like I like we're just missing like that layer to this. Like this is this like this is great. You have the Paul Pierce trolling as well, um, but like you're missing like that Kyrie factor, and it kind of sucks. It does kind of suck. Let's pivot here to Game Three and Games Three and Four. We're going back to Cleveland, and I personally expect it to go a little bit better for the Cavaliers. Uh, I think the thing that really sunk Cleveland in game two really was in the first quarter. Even though they won the second quarter, they, that first quarter, I think they, they missed a gigantic opportunity. And what I've been saying is that like LeBron put his 21 points up in the first quarter. That's fantastic, obviously. But... Alongside him, Kevin Love scored two points. Tristan Thompson scored two points. George Hill scored two points. They scored 27 points in the quarter, and they were only up four after that. And when I saw that they were only up four, I said, they are in trouble. Because what should have happened was LeBron James scores 21, and the sheer gravity of him dominating the way he dominated would have forced so much attention on him that Guys like Love would have had six points, and George Hill would have had uh, six points, and Corver would have had a couple of three. So instead of 21 and uh, six points for from the rest of the team, it would have been 21 plus 16 or 18 points, and you would have had a 37, 39-point quarter somewhere in that range. Like, when LeBron does what he did, he needs to get the other guys. If, it, if that game is 38-23 going into the second quarter, it's obviously a very different game. And we've seen Boston come back from huge deficits. I'm not saying that that was a lock, but that would have forced a lot more adjustments from Boston. And... I think if LeBron can maybe do something similar and come out with a huge opening punch, if they can get something out of those other guys and put up something north of 35 points in the first quarter, that makes it like that, that sets up the rest of the game. And that could be the game that they win. If they don't, I feel like they're screwed if they don't. Yeah, you know, I I think you're you're right that the 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 pressure is on the cast to make the adjustments. It is on 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 Ty Lue to to make adjustments. I mean, I'm gonna pull this up right now because I have to to point this out. Um, because Zach Lowe, because Zach Lowe is is very very good at his job and very smart and obviously <laughs> is gonna notice things that even like just notice really really smart things. He had a tweet 
uh, about this game uh, on on Wednesday had said, lineup of Hill, Corver, Braun, Love, Thompson played zero seconds last night. If you are go- going to play big with Love and TT, you have to find a way to get to that group. That is just like a fact. That is a awful coaching like move by by Tyloo. He was like out, fully out coached in this game. It's just it's a huge referendum for for me on, on what he is as a coach. Um, was was that performance? I am very, very curious to see like, what a further adjustment he makes. His, his One of his strengths to me as a coach is his in-between game adjustments. So, like, what does he do for this game? Who does he put in? For me, I would like to see Jetty. Um, I, would, I think no Clarkson remains a good thing. I, 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 would, I think Nance earned another shot based on just some of the little things he did do in game two. But you're right. Like, this does start with LeBron. You look at the, the Pacers series – the 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 thing that got them back after that bad game one was LeBron going nuclear and he started through that here and then you know whether it was the the hit to the head whether it was just the exhaustion factor whatever it is like he could not keep that up the other aspect is something I mentioned before is that Kevin Love has to be great and I think getting him moving around and not making him a static guy that Boston can like trap or or double or um you know get get time to set against him I think getting him moving around getting Corver moving around will continue to be a success. And and J- if J.R. Smith is just not awful, that would that would help too. But <laughs> let me ask you this: Boston has obviously, um, it's been talked about at least, uh, you know, on the broadcast and whatnot that they're uh, they're a better team. They've been much better team at home. Like, is 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 there truth to that? And and if and if so, like, what what is different for them on the road versus versus playing at home in Boston? I I think it's simple that they they just make more mistakes on the road, um, guys in. I don't want to oversimplify it, but the role players play better at home than on the road. And I'll look at Terry Rozier's numbers right here. Terry Rozier at home in nine games is averaging uh, 20 points per game, 5.8 assists, uh, and one one turnover. Uh, On the road, oh, and he's shooting... 46% 46% from the field, 45% from three. That's his home numbers. On the road, he's averaging 12.8 points, shooting just a tick under 40, 34%, 24.5% from three, uh, with basically his assist numbers and his rebound numbers don't change. His turnovers are up just a tiny bit. but And he's a minus 6.6 on the road and a plus 9.4 at home. So... That there is the epitome of the difference between home road Celtics. Um, if Rozier can, and we even saw it in last night in uh, game in game two. First half, Terry Rozier was not great. Terry Rozier in the first half was let's see, uh, two points on one of four shooting, and then he went out. In the third quarter, and we saw him just completely take over, go full scary Terry, and give him 14 points on 5 of 8 shooting. So that burst doesn't happen necessarily on the road. And that performance that you saw when and the Celtics fans were saying it, they need Rozier to play better. And during the first half, they needed Rozier to play better if they're going to have a chance. And once he did, the Celtics took the lead. There, there's been a that's been few and far between. Those performances have been few and far between on the road for Rozier. So if if he's 
if he's having that type of performance, Marcus Morris, similar, uh, Marcus Smart, a little similar. Those guys are are struggling a little bit more on the road. So there's definitely something to that. Uh, so we'll see if if they if they do not perform up to even close to their home numbers, they're going to Celtics are going to really struggle. So as we look at this series, um, it's something you and I touched on as we were prepping for the show. But I mean, these first two games, based on what we've seen, I think uh, I at least picked it in Cavs in six coming in. I don't know what you picked, but this didn't feel like a series that was going to feel so over early to some degree. After these first few games, looking at what's to come, I mean, I don't feel we're, like we're unless the Cavs significantly look better and re- rebound from where they were. It does not feel like to me like this is going to be a long series. Where do you stand on it? Well, I came in picking Celtics in six because I, I did feel like the matchups, aside from LeBron, who's never lost the matchup, I felt like the other matchups favored the Celtics basically across the board. Uh, Horford has been amazing. And the question that I've always had was not who guards LeBron, but who does LeBron guard? Because that means if he's guarding Tatum, then somebody's got to guard Jalen Brown. And if he's not guarding Jalen Brown, then you get the first quarter of game two. And if he is guarding Jalen Brown, then you get the second quarter of game two where Tatum was doing his work. So however that works out, I still think the Celtics have the advantage. Um, I do feel like that game three will start much more heavily in the Cavaliers' favor. And if the Celtics get caught up in trying to silence what I expect to be a very, very wild crowd, if they get caught up in that, then they'll, they'll probably lose big. Um, if they play more discipline and keep doing what they're doing, they they can escape and and maybe win game three, uh, or at the very least make it a close game. If it's if it's a close game three, then I think the Celtics can close it out in five because it shouldn't be a close game three. This is, and I don't know. I mean, in talking to you, I feel like there's a, a tiny bit of resignation going on because I think Cavs fans, and tell me if I'm wrong, sit there and look at this team and say, it doesn't matter. if you beat, if you Even if you come back and beat the Celtics, you're looking at the Western Conference Finals and saying, look at what we got to face. Like, there's just a buzzsaw. Why, why would you be excited to go face that? So I, I feel like there's a little bit of resignation. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of Cavs fans who are sitting there saying, this is our last opportunity, potentially, to have LeBron on our home floor. And if he does leave, we want to have like a big send-off. I mean, that, that's my outsider's take. So I feel like the beginning of Game 3 is going to be so wild. And I think the guys, the, your role players, I think George Hill and, and – Maybe Jeff Green, those guys that have been kind of iffy, maybe Rodney Hood, maybe, are are going to feed off of that and kind of at least play to the crowd a little bit. And if they can do that, and the Celtics kind of wilt a little bit, if they just make a couple of mistakes, then then the, the Cavs can and should, should run away with it. But again, if, if you have all of those elements 
and you can't run away with it, then that makes game four really, really difficult because that you're not going to get that same juice in game four. That that to, to go through another street fight, even if you win by five and it's just a tough, tough slog, I just don't see that team having enough to win three out of the next four games after that. So it really all hinges on, on game three. If that if the Cavaliers can blow the Celtics out in game three, then they this could be a, a situation where the home team holds court and it goes seven, and we'll see. Uh, if they can't, then I think this could be over in five games, six tops. Yeah, I think you're right. I think game three is going to tell us a lot about, about what is – uh, coming for the Cavs, I think that if how they look, what kind of adjustments they make, well, how they just if they look rejuvenated or not with that time off, if they make some adjustments, you know, but they haven't, you know, we haven't seen you know any media comments from anybody since uh, since the game as we record this, but they're going to talk Thursday, so you know, on Friday's Lockdown Cavs will have some um, you know reaction to that, but it, it just feel it hasn't even like got it really got a chance to like dawn on the fact of what, like that that like game four could be you know LeBron's last. Like it's it could be the last time he plays in Cleveland before his decision, the last time. I mean, it's just there's so much that's going to go into these next couple of days from Saturday to, to to I think game two, game four would be on Monday. It there's so much that is going to happen, so much that's going to be discussed and, and talked about during all of this this whole conversation. Um, the one thing we do know about game three is that, and we're going to touch on this just real quickly, is J.R. Smith is not suspended for this game. Uh, I, I mean, I, you and I, I know based on your tweets, if anyone has seen them, that you yeah. f- firmly believe he should have been ejected. I agree that it should have been a flagrant two. Uh, you know, I, I, we made the joke that, <laughs> and Twitter has made the joke that it's better almost for Boston if he does play because he's been so bad, and he'll probably be better at home. But whatever, I, it just, it's a, it's a little, I don't. I, maybe it's just because it's a figure one call. I haven't had a chance to like exactly fully read up on this, and I don't, I prob- don't really think it matters that much, but. It's it. Frankly, Jr. probably should be suspended for this game, and it's. I don't really have a good argument to understand why he he's didn't get called for flagrant two, and then um, he didn't get suspended as a result. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it bothers me a lot. It really bothers me a lot. Uh, I just I I don't understand how people in those positions don't under, don't get how dangerous that play really was. That it doesn't take much when a guy is jumping up and forward to put a little push. And I think the argument might be, well, he didn't push him very hard. He just kind of a little, a little nudge um, and he was fine. He didn't get hurt, but sheer luck behind it is not the determining factor. He put his hands. And first of all, J.R. Smith, repeat offender, repeat offender on dirty plays. Secondly, that push didn't need to be very much. And it didn't have to be, full arm extension to push him through the stanchion. It was just simply a push in the small of the back when somebody's going airborne. And that is a very high uh, possibility of an injury. And I know because I had it happen to me jumping and getting a push in the small of the back. And that can really mess you up for a long, long time. So I agree that, J.R. Smith on the floor is much more advantageous to the Boston Celtics. And having him on the floor is more of a punishment to the Cavaliers than the Celtics. And I'm sure Ty Lue 
there's a part of him who was probably like, you know, I kind of wish he was suspended because then I could play these other guys and then show him like, hey, it's working. You need to sit. So all that being said, though, I just feel like it's much more important to kind of put that message out there that that play is not okay. It's just it's such a dangerous play. I, I, I just I hate it so much. It, beyond who it happened to or my team or somebody else's team, I, every time I see something like that happen, I, I cringe and it's disgusting to me. The fact that somebody admitted to doing it intentionally, just it bothers me to an unbelievable degree. And I'm going to stop talking about it because I, I, I have to stop myself. Otherwise, I'll go forever. It's just I, it, it bothers me that much. Yeah, I you know I don't blame you on that at all, but it's going to be uh, an interesting game four or game three, an interesting game four after that. But John, I mean, I just uh, we'll wrap it up. I just last question I have for you: what what is your expectation for what for what Boston um, could like? If there, if there is there anything you can see that they actually could be doing better based on what we've seen so far? Like, is there anything that you're like, okay, this is something that if they figure this out, that it would spell doom for the Cavs? Um. I think there are stretches where they kind of lose some focus and it's hard to do this for 48 minutes. Um, and they've, they've gotten away with it a little bit. Uh, there, there are some times where they, they kind of get a little too, um, hero ball focused. Uh, they have a tendency to, when they find a mismatch, there's, there's a difference between taking advantage of a mismatch and so trying to hunt a, you know, everybody trying to take advantage of their own individual mismatch. You know what I'm saying? So when Marcus Morris gets the ball, it's like, oh, I can, t- I can toast this dude. Yeah, maybe, but you taking 10 dribbles and finding a, try to launch a contested mid-range jumper, that's not exactly what we're looking for. And he'll do it. Terry will do it. Other guys will do it. And what ends up happening is the Celtics get into a very much of a let's take turns kind of situation. It often happens when Al Horford is not on the floor. So um, I think it's uh, imperative on them to not fall into that trap and continue to play a fluid ball movement style of play because, frankly, Cavaliers cannot defend that. And if you let the Cavaliers get away with standing around, then that's a big, big problem. Because chances are they're going to stand around anyway, and if the rest of the guys are moving, you're going to get open shots. It's not that the Cavs won't stand around. It's that you're going to let them stand around and have that be okay for them. So that's the one thing, I think, offensively. For a team that has struggled to score points, they've gotten a lot better at it, but that's the one thing I'd like to see a lot less of. Yeah, I think you're indicating right that it would uh, dispel doom for the cast. But game three, Saturday in Cleveland, I can't wait. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, a lot of tension and, and a lot of, I think, anxiety for everyone on, on both sides watching this game. But, John, um, are, you, are you feeling a Celtics 3-0 lead or are you feeling a, a, the Cavs take game three? I, I'm going to play it safe here and say that I think the Cavs take game three. I just this They have to. They have to. Like, there's, there's just no – they have to. What do you think? I have no idea. Who, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to, like, just just uh, watch the game. 
I'm going to just take it as it comes in and I'm just, I'm just going to expect nothing. Cause I, I, I just find that predicting what, what is going to happen with the Cavs, um, really is, is not, is not a smart strategy. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to take it and see how it goes. I thought they were like in a good position in game two and then the third quarter happened. So it takes, it, it, sometimes that doesn't even matter if they start off well. So, so am I right to think that, I mean, I see, I can hear the resignation in your voice now. Like, are you just, you're just ready to, are you, oh, I, I, I right? think they're. I think they're going to lose the series at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's just. I've wondered this for a while. Like, what what the what the, the what would it take to beat this team? I, I just think like what I just don't know what exactly their counter is going to be if if Ty's the coach to make those type of counters. Just the type of what would it take to come back from two zero and the and the even with LeBron to me just. I, I just I need to see it happen for me to to do it. This is just not the same group that came back from three one. Um, there's a lot of miles in these guys. There's just a lot of different holes on this team that I don't know how you, you hide them. So for me, I, I just think we're, we're closer to this being over than we are just the cast coming back. That just seems like a far more likely outcome at this point, based on, on what we know about this cast team. Just this Boston is very equipped to, to bring us full circle is very, very well equipped to pick apart the holes on this cast team. And I, I don't know what the Cavs' counter can, will be to that other than, they just have to like impl- implement their identity, but how far does that really get you? I just, I just don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I just don't know. All right, man. Hey, look, this has been yeah. fun. Uh, I, at the same time, hope that this series is over quickly, but at the same time, I would love to speak to you again about stuff because we've always had fun. <laughs> these, these, yeah, these teams will be connected one way or the other, I think, going forward. So I'm sure this will not be the the last time, the last time we're chatting. All right, man. Thanks. Cheers. I like Chris a lot. He does a great job with the Locked On Cavs show. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation, I think, and gives you a lot of that Cleveland perspective. Uh, I, I really do think that they are just kind of waiting for the inevitable, and they just kind of want like this to be over with. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see if the Cavaliers players feel the same way, because <laughs> if they do, then this will be over really, really soon. I I just don't see it in the Cavaliers to put together four out of five games worth of an effort that's necessary to fix the things that look broken. But you never know. You just never know. We've gone into now three. This is the third series in a row where we've come out of Boston thinking, man, that other team looks bad. And the Bucks went home and took care of business. Philly different story, but now here come the Cavs and the difference is obviously they've got LeBron. As I said, he's got a lot of miles on those tires and we'll see if that home cooking, that home energy is going to be enough to, to have him be more aggressive. And if he is, and if he's joined by some of his teammates, this could get ugly quickly in game three, but we've seen the Celtics team just defy expectations. And even though, I'm trying to be realistic about these expectations. You just don't know how it's going to go. And this Celtics team just keeps on surprising you. So, again, give us that five-star rating. Give us a good review. Be sure to subscribe. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Sam Packard, Jay King will be back up on the roof deck for the Friday show. But for now, I want to thank you for listening to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast.
Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.